Let's go ahead and get there. I'm going to ask you to turn and mark Proverbs chapter 1. But as you're doing that as well, I have another area that I wanted to mark. Again, for those of you that have been here with us, just indulge. Allow yourself to just participate in a re-examination. The main course here in the teaching is wisdom, and it's important enough to God that he would dedicate an entire book towards it. We have challenges at times with it because it is voiced or penned in a mystery. Proverbs will be defined as the searching out, the discovery, the unlocking of a code, the word that you might better be familiar with is an enigma. If somebody says you are an enigma, it means to them you haven't been figured out yet. And they're working on decoding you. They're trying to figure you out. In an illustration that actually is both contemporary and actually historically established, the Germans in World War II had a machine called the Enigma. It is by the means in which they could pass on secret codes. And by doing that, not having to fear those transactions of battle plans getting into the wrong hands because nobody could figure it out, it became a dilemma for the allies on, well, what are they saying? What does this mean? We don't know what it means, but every time these notes go out, something happens that is in direct barricading of our advancement or we're getting wiped out over there. And so the Americans worked diligently with the allied forces and ultimately, without the Germans understanding it, they were able to decode the messages that were going out designed by the Germans to not be comprehended and what they were doing is using an Enigma machine. And so one of the things that we see there is that it required some sleuthing, some real undercover work. And therefore, one of the things that we know is that in Proverbs, it requires a sleuthing Wonderful commentaries on it, but for your practical understanding, you do need to say, Lord, what does this mean for me? I know the general application, I'm sensing that this belongs in somebody's heart, but because it's a book of wisdom, Lord, what is it that you're saying to me in it? So that's one of the things you have to say about Proverbs. It's a treasury of wisdom within an enigma, within a mystery, within what we would call cultural phrasing, and we have to be those who say this is important because God obviously wants me to read it. So one of the things that this is titled with is simply Waves of Wisdom. It began here, and this is an important part. I took those who were on Thursday twice now to this key area of scripture 
and that's found right now in First Kings. Because we've been through First Kings, I know that this was taught. It's just a refresher. First Kings in chapter 3 is where we find Solomon, who the majority of the Proverbs is committed to, is asking ultimately for something, but it was after God gave him the opportunity to ask for something. It goes simply like this. There's been a treaty that's been formed. He now is governing Israel. He's doing some politicking. We've looked and examined whether that was the right thing to do. Our understanding is, nope, he should not have made an alliance with Egypt by being engaged to Pharaoh's daughter. That's an alliance with the world system, the system that obviously they were brought out of and toured to say goodbye to. So how did he make the mistake? Like many of us, hadn't sought the Lord. He's a young guy. And this visitation had come after this particular handshake across the desert's hands. He had already done it. He had already been politically aligned with Egypt. It is, though, important to note that it's precisely when you've made the errant handshake that God would say, let me visit you. As you're resting, I'm going to be visiting you and offering you some great promise. It picks it up here in verse 5. Gibeon's a place where obviously the king had been. He had gone there to conduct a spiritual ceremony. It wasn't the place, but it was a place. And this is what we see here. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Maybe for Solomon, like the Beatles penned, it was a hard day's night. And he's sleeping like a log. God makes this visitation to him, and it comes at as a salutation. Salutation is a greeting. How would you like this greeting? Here we go. Ask, what shall I give you? He's sleeping like a log. It's a hard day's night. And God just says, ask, what shall I give you? And so for us, many of us, we're in that time in which that is a question that both we would love to be asked and one that right now we are compelled, how might I answer the Lord? On such an occasion, such a request, doesn't it make your head swim when you're going, ooh, would he ask me such a question? Would he truly give me that which I want? But you've also heard, be careful what you ask for, for you may get it. <laughs> what if you had all the riches in the world? You'd probably have all the friends and enemies in the world. I never knew I was loved. You're not. <laughs> what you have is... When they get that, it doesn't matter. 
Oh, if I just had an army. Armies have challenges at times staying faithful to those who are overseeing an army. If I just had something, something, something. But history says that unless it's what God has given us because it was on his heart to do and he's matching it with the answer that you render, then you don't want it. Ask, 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 what shall I give you? And Solomon said this, it's a brilliant answer, but notice what's going on in his heart. You have shown great mercy. He just compliments the Lord. So when your heart is burdened from the hard days, nights, sleeping like a log, and you sense that God is asking for you to make an appeal, maybe this is where we start. Oh, Lord, great is your mercy. That means you didn't get what was very likely by consequence deserved. See, there's a consequence in life, no matter where you're at, what you're doing, there's always a consequence that awaits. If I took a step off of this stage carelessly, though not my intention, the consequence of a careless step would be a fall. You wouldn't see me bounce probably as good as I once did. I would hope to, just to avoid complete embarrassment. But if I fell off this stage because of that act of not being better observant, the consequence would be the fall and the injury resulting from that. He acknowledges the mercy of God. We didn't get what we deserved. Just married Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, my word. He may have been thinking that, but he's obviously declaring right now the mercy shown to his father, David, how important it is to anchor ourselves to those who have preceded us. Oh, Lord, I know what you've done for me, but I want to let you know I'm in fond and admirable remembrance of what you did for my dad, my mom, my grandparents, those who I haven't even met, my great, 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 great grandparents, those who have adopted me. Lord, thank you those who have taught me, those who had affection for me. Lord, your mercy has been great to them and to me. So that's where we see there. He compliments the fact that David, his father, was one who walked in truth. And so one of the things that we need to be mindful of is that wisdom is celebrated by truth and what men and women are doing with regard to that discipline, walking in truth. He's acknowledging these things. And you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now he brings himself in. Third person, and you've given him a son. There were other sons, many sons. They weren't sons that were very admirable. Brothers and half-brothers to Solomon but Solomon says, you've given my father many sons, and I'm the one now in this position. May have even thought of himself as the least 
of those that preceded him. But what we do know is that he's acknowledging this work of God. And now I'm the son that sits on my father's throne as it is this day. Verse 7, getting back to his answer. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Humility is being voiced. Of course he would know how to go out and come in. As much as I would through that door, both entering and exiting or where you're sitting. What does he mean by that? He's saying this is a big job. On the practical side, the easily negotiable side, I am where I'm at. I can do pretty much what I've been taught. On this one, it is such a magnitudal difference. I'm a child. He's in his 20s. Have you felt at any time where you're at by age, Almost like, Daddy, help me. I do sometimes think, I, I think back in the days in which my father and mother were great comforters of me for what it was that as a child I would be going through. Great comforters. But I've also thought very much what you don't forget as a child, that my father, my heavenly father, your heavenly father, is a great comforter as well. And I'm able to say, Lord, I feel like a child right now in what it is I'm doing. Vulnerable, perhaps, even in this youthful mindset. He acknowledges this great act of mercy according to his father, the position that he has above his brother's and he says, as king, I feel like a child in this one. He says in this, I don't know how to go out or come in. And verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant, this is his answer, an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10, how the Lord heard his words and was touched by them. The Lord will hear your words and he'll be touched by them. Isn't that a great thing that you can say, this is what this is showing us? Sometimes we think too hard in works that we believe by performing them, God will take greater pleasure in us. What if he's so delighted in the work of your mouth, voicing the things that touch him because they are so humble and they're actually his heart? You had a chance on what you could ask. Ask whatever you want. And here he asks in this that he might have understanding. And it touches the Lord's heart to where this is what we see as the benefit of that. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have you have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, verse 12, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart 
so that there has not been anyone like you before you. Still, a lot of credit being given to Moses. A lot of credit. But God says in this one as king, there is no one that's going to be like you. No one shall be like you and no one will arise after you like you. Only one we know of, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he did not have what Solomon was granted, this beautiful, amazing place, Jerusalem in its beginnings, and a temple that would be built that his father had prepared for. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches, honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all of your days. Wow. Because I answered correctly. Because your heart answered correctly. He saw your heart. And then it says, Solomon awoke. As a result of this encounter, it's one of two. It's the first. The next one will happen when a dedication service takes place of work that had been accomplished. As a result of this encounter, it teaches us that you must anticipate God in the time that as industry exhausts you, as people frustrate you, you have not necessarily been in a position like the one you're in now, but you are. And it is not God picking on you, nor is it the enemy taking advantage of you. It's just life. You make an assessment. You evaluate where you're at, where your folks have been, those who have endured and who have endeared you to a spiritual heritage, and you are ones that say, Lord, this is what I'm tempted to ask, but this is what I must ask. And I believe that in correctly answering you, you will bless me beyond my wildest requests. And even my wildest requests will be tame compared to your joy in granting me that which I need and that which I never could have per se dreamed of. See, our request knitted with God to touch his heart is his response to give us literally the kingdom. I heard that before. It's God's pleasure to give his children good things. May we have, oh wait, what's the word? Wisdom to answer God when he says, ask. Oh Lord, this is what I'm dumb to death. Ask what touches my heart. And what follows? He didn't know what was going to follow. Just put a period on it. I'm asking this and I'm going to be sufficiently satisfied if to the letter of the law that I addressed. Wisdom. If God wants to throw anything else on that, he can. But I'm going to be absolutely content in wisdom. For in wisdom are my riches. They are, as you would, 
the attributes that within us search the things out that God wants you to have as discovery of great joy for great accomplishment. So the reason that I brought you back here is so that you could be inspired. I have no idea why I was doing this. I think I thought that I had some hair, but I don't. I need wisdom. My pastor used to always do that with his hair, and I'd go, I used to do that. And for whatever reason, that's what I was thinking. John, but I don't have it. I just polished myself. Oh, Lord, wisdom. I do foolish things without wisdom. And so we go back now to Proverbs chapter 1 because this was the area in which Solomon began to pen the things that God gave him divinely. In James, which is what you are familiar with, within the first chapter, he pens some very special phrases that you're probably saying, oh yeah, I remember that one. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproof or reproach, and it shall be given to that man. Let that man though ask in faith, not doubting, don't waver. Ask in faith. For what? Wisdom. For what? What you lack. What's that? How to use the knowledge that you possess in limitations that can be divinely endued through wisdom. Wisdom is an endued supernatural gifting. Even though we historically will say, that man was as wise as a sage. It has nothing to do with a sage. As far as I'm concerned, that's an herb that I put on some food. I want the Spirit of God to give me an endowment from on high that allows my limited experiential activities to be empowered on how do I do this, how do I get through it, how is it that I'm with that individual, those people? Lord, I'm in a crisis. Give me wisdom with the limited experience that I have to come out of this with mercy and with grace. How can I be a vessel that is most suitable and usable, not just simply by all the things that I've done in limitation, but what you will give me a greater influence through wisdom that you've imparted to me. It's a gift. That's what James is saying. And James would actually be in your face telling you that because he's one that would begin to challenge you on what's your faith for? What are you doing with it? It's not just declaring it. Your faith has an expression of works. James would say, I can show you my faith by my works, but there are some people who will say, ah, then it's all about works. No, it's not. James is simply saying that an outcome of true faith has an expression that gets things done. I can't get anything done. What about prayer? Can you get things done in prayer? See, that's one of the things as well that Solomon would learn how to do. In fact, he opens up literally his ministry of invocating when the temple had been built by saying one of the most notable prayers in the Bible, 
calling upon God, having confidence in the voicing of what that temple was for and what God would do to protect his people and also the experiences of what those people would be subject to if they turned their back on God. Do you know why wisdom is so important in these days? Because in these days we have heresy and apostasy. Heresy is taking doctrine and eliminating what you don't like about it. Apostasy is turning away from God because there's something that has happened to you that you don't like. Well, he let me down. I asked for wisdom and all of a sudden everybody's calling me a knucklehead. I'm getting insulted. I'm getting attacked. I'm losing things. I asked for God to be with me. I asked in faith. My works were humble on the beach, and I think it was on the beach. I don't think it was last week, but it could have been. I don't remember. I need wisdom. Okay, what was it that I was supposed to remember? But if you didn't know, I lost a trailer. So out there was a trailer, 12 by 6 by 6. Functional. Most of the stuff that we go to Galesville with was in it. And the funny thing is, it wasn't funny, maybe it is, was that the week before I was out on the dock loading up the van because we weren't using the trailer to put all the equipment that gets us down on the beach. I was there with my son, Everest, <laughs> and Dale, the very spot on that dock out there that just one foot forward beyond that, my trailer had been parked for a year and a half. And here we are loading up a van, heading to the beach. And it wasn't until the next week when I'm out there celebrating this work that one of the landscapers, this looks so awesome. You're doing such a great job. You know, we used to do that. But thank you. It looks so nice. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm doing what I can. So am I. I'm doing what I can. It's looking a lot better, too, because, you know, there's more room here. That trailer's gone. Trailer? Yeah, the white trailer over there. That's my trailer. Where did it go? I don't know. I thought you knew. No, who would know? Oh, Lord, that I should have had wisdom. I had trust in humanity. Who would have thought that a thief would come back behind a church and steal a trailer? Oh, wait a minute, Lord. You're right. That happened before when the van was back there and they decided my catalytic converter was good shopping. Okay, wisdom. Some people like stuff that ain't theirs. And they like stuff that's in back of a church. And it's free. Why wouldn't it be? Church is benevolent. I will take that benevolent offering. And so I'm turning this around in my mind going, I needed to have chains like that which kept Samson pinned to the pillars. And so I've been kind of asking myself, what could I have done differently? Probably put 
a chain on my trailer. I only share that with you because I now have to have the attitude that says, easy come, easy go. They are taking a trailer in which God knows what's in it and God knows what they've done. And that person may have God right on their tail until they turn tail from being wicked and thieves and come into the place in which God can conduct business in their life. So here we go. Imagine that since we are titling this Waves of Wisdom, and you never see us on the beach because there are other things that you're doing. Roller derby next door. With your rivals open, of course. <laughs> 55 to 60% of your body, as we stand, as we sit here, is water. Did you know that? Okay, now you do. And so the Lord would say, hydrate, because if you don't, you're going to wilt. You're going to become dehydrated. There's consequences to that hydrate. And as I'm doing that, there's a cup going up. Is that water or coffee? Nice. But 90% of that is water, right? Good job. <laughs> now, sometimes I have to pay for these extra illustrations, but, you know, it was right on cue. Nice. And I have no idea why I'm holding this bottle of water. It always bothers me when I do it. Because it's really hard to hold that that long. But maybe I'm thirsty, or maybe the Lord's using that as your prop. Nevertheless, 55 to 60% of our body is water. Therefore, what I want to suggest to you that is pictorial and that I think may help you as well understand some of the benefits, at least in terms of the scripture and in terms of the word that I gave you, which was an enigma, God will use spiritual water in your life to deal with the reservoir of water in your body. It's one and the same. If I do not hydrate myself with the word of God, I will spiritually dehydrate and I will not be as effective. But I wanted to introduce you to some terms that I found to be fascinating. And these terms relate to the study of waves. And then I want to see if you can kind of have this, ooh, that correlates with what's going on in my life as of late. These are just a few. And I'm not going into a big giant, you know, um, scientific term. These kind of self-explanatory. And maybe I would have to say to you cleverly, it's why at times we make waves. With 50 to 60% of us water, there's a splash zone and a spit zone somewhere. You have to figure out, are you contributing as a spit zone or are you contributing as a splash zone? Are you refreshing people or are you denigrating people? Are you living a life that's refreshing or are you just somebody that's a dehumidifier in somebody's life? Just sucking the moisture out of them. Here we go. Wave number one, it's called an inshore wave. 
It's what you see when a wave comes up and it seems that the sand just vacuums it out. It's called a backwash. It's usually pointed to the little designs that the sand finds. So if you would compelling for us to look at as an art project and we build our little castles and of course it gets swallowed up and the sand gets reconfigured. But it is interesting. That's actually considered a type of wave. The other one is an internal wave. It's underneath. Is there anything underneath right now in your body, your life that is what we would say the internal wave? You're 60 to 50% water. Anything internal right now that's just underneath. And it's something that you're mindful of. It's a stirring. And you don't know what God is trying to help you understand about that particular turmoil. Maybe that's a good way to describe it. There's a Kelvin wave. We associate that with uh, El Nino down in Mexico. It's a wave that's influenced by the heat, a collision of heat and cold, and it has an effect. And it's actually not necessarily a favorable effect. It changes things pretty dramatically. Are you in hot water? Is there something that, for instance, has raised the thermostat of what's in you, and rather than being cool and collected, you're boiling? I explained to you right now that after donating my catalytic converter and my trailer, I'm not so sure I've been as cool as I project, but the Lord is allowing me to be right now trusting in Him the Kelvin wave. Maybe for you right now in politics, it's the progressive wave. You are fed up and it's affecting you and perhaps infecting you. You know, we can be those who in the body of Christ can be infected by a progressive cultural philosophy that has no business being a part of doctrine. And we need to be mindful of that. The ears that are itching for some other thing or some other acceptation that Egypt wants to offer us when we've been delivered from Egypt to the promised land has to change. And it's not us based on bowing down to culture. It's culture bowing down to God. The progressive wave. We have those in the church who have allowed 50 to 60% of their body to buy into the progressive wave. They need to have that as no longer an issue of conflict between what God says and what we are to obey. And you know what? Here's what you do. You keep praying. You keep praying for those who perhaps within your family are part of that. Because guess what? God knows how to rescue people from waves. He truly does. The capillary waves. That's an important one actually to pay attention to. It's what you find the first evidence of waves coming in. It's when the ocean is completely calm and all of a sudden we see the white of the water begin to frill up, foam up. That's called a capillary wave. It says that there's something coming. 
What is it that the Lord has said to you? Something's coming. Be ready. It doesn't necessarily mean to the negative, but it does mean that we have to be sensitive to what we could say. I didn't expect that. Well, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. But you know what? I think I'm going to start expecting it. Part of the expectation is that if I do, which James says that I am to do, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance or patience, then it means if I live in the expectation that I am going to face off with a trial, a test, I will have the preparatory internal mechanism, the spiritual heft to be able to manage it so that I don't get out of control. I'm to anticipate it. The capillary waves, they let you anticipate that a breeze is coming. Jesus would say that the breeze, the wind is actually very unpredictable. Who knows where it's going? Who knows ultimately its effect? A breeze came through our place, blew down a tree. <laughs> Who would think that that would happen? Here's what didn't happen. I wasn't standing underneath that tree. Nobody was driving up my driveway when that tree fell. And the tree was captured by a larger tree. A big giant redwood caught this other tree falling into it. The tree that we can best describe hit a cable line, snapped it, and rather than it going and flying into the road, getting somebody else, it went parallel to the road and landed in the other arms of this bigger tree. Isn't it interesting how God can even use trees and root systems that can say, when storms come, I can catch that. I can catch it. And then praise God, because I didn't know what to do. I had a friend that came up and said, I got a chainsaw, you want me to handle that? You can do that? I mean, that sounds kind of, that's what I do. I can do it. I'm a carpenter, I deal with wood. Okay, off the subject, we have to finish off some of these waves. There's the tidal wave that is considered to be different than the tsunami. The tidal wave is astronomical. That sounds horrific. Well, it's not that astronomical. It literally deals with the component parts of the atmosphere. Astrologically speaking, there are forces in place. Ephesians indicates that there are powers in high places that are in place, and they are endeavoring to affect the waves. Wave after wave, what's happening? Why is this tidal wave experience happening to me? Because there are forces at work that ultimately can cause demise. But guess what? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So what is the tsunami? So that's basically from a Japanese word, and it means basically in this, it's an underwater earthquake. Has your water system been rocked by an earthquake? I've been through a 3.0 once in California, managing a store, and I couldn't manage to keep everything on the shelves. That was just a three. But it's an underwater. It's the stuff that we also can say, it's an undercurrent in my life. Something has shaken me. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. The breaking wave. Maybe a lot of us have been there. I'm a broken person. 
Breaking wave simply implies what it, you probably are seeing. It crashes. It just completely, under its own weight, crashes. Maybe a good word is collapse. Have you collapsed lately? You've experienced a breaking wave. 50 to 60% of your body, water. Or maybe like the last one, a plunging wave. You know what that one is? That's the one that explodes. You're there and you're just going, oh, this is so nice. And it hit something. It came in with an unexpected force and it was an explosion that ultimately rendered you wet. And it actually can take people out. It can send things onshore. The reason that I took you into this, very lightly have I dipped into the Proverbs, was because this, in essence, is a perspective on why you need to ask God for wisdom. Because within the context of these chapters in the scripture of wisdom, as you keep moving through them, and we get to about, what, 31 and what do we find? We find the conclusion. It's this beautiful word regarding the woman. Proverbs 31 is an awesome text of scripture. We spoke about it the previous week. And what we know of them and what we know of ourselves is that God is also not only our Heavenly Father, but He touches our heart very maternally. He really is one who nurtures us, wants to save us, protect us, have us effectual, not consequential. And so Solomon was to be able to hear and to pen that in this book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's not be fools. Let's say, you know what? This is a season. If you're presenting Proverbs, I'm going to be in the Proverbs. If the church is to be right now on their face at the beach or sunning their face at the beach, if we are as a convergent body literally bringing a tsunami spiritually to that beach, I'm going to be there. We have people that actually sit among the rocks and they will listen to the words that are being taught. And we are substantially worshiping the Lord. Probably about five to six songs. We used to have about two, one closed. The service has been punctuated to be punctual. Start at 6.30, shut her down at 7.30. Why? Because I want to see what the Lord wants to do in a shorter time and the fellowship that would take place for a longer time. Have I seen results? And here I have. God knows my heart. If it takes me a thousand people to get me out there, do you think God's more impressed if it just simply is one person that I'm willing to go out there for? Of course. God is saving lives in here. God is truly protecting us from things that the enemy is either lining up for us or we are privileged to be tested by the enemy, by an allowance of God that says, 
do your best. That guy, that woman, they're not giving up. They're not quitting. I love them. They can take loss and they'll say, it's all gain. That's the type of servant that I have. So catch up on Proverbs chapter one. We just made it to verse eight, I think, of last week, seven. But may this detour for you be encouraging. Don't you want to really see what God can do both in your life and in the church? The church is becoming what culture would say an irrelevant institution. We've got a generation of kids that are no longer believing in the importance of structure. So I'll go wherever we are appointed to go. Love to stay here. But in a lot of places, here isn't so popular. Thank you for making here very popular today. You've populated this place. <laughs>